everyone, I'm Michelle Hensley here out at Hope Center Indy. I'm in the studio today with the director of the residential program, Gina Colclaser. Hi, Gina. Hey, Michelle. And you're also the executive director for Wellspring Center at Brandywine Church, which can you briefly tell everybody what that's about? I know what it's about. But. Sure. Yeah, Wellspring Center at Brandywine Community Church is a mental health and wellness resource center. And our goal and vision there is to really be a resource place for individuals, families, children, youth that uh, have mental health uh, needs. Uh, we will work with them. We're open 22 hours a week. Everything's free. Our participants come in and we will do what's called a whole person assessment. And really part of that is just really getting to hear their story and find out where they um, have needs. And then our resource coaches will work with them one-on-one to put together a next step plan to help get them plugged into resources. Wellspring also has uh, at Brandywine, we have 11 groups that are free that work for mental health. And so our people can come in and we also plug them into community partners, therapy, recovery, clinical, whatever they need. Uh, we will walk with them on the journey and help them get plugged in. Yeah. So we're, I love Brand, Brandywine. I love Wellsprings. Yes. We'll have to get you back on sure. here and tackle that. Yes. It's an entire episode. It it's is. a fabulous, it's it a, really is. It's a fabulous uh, ministry. Yeah. But today we're going to talk about the residential director position. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of people, when they think of Hope Center Indy, they obviously know that our mission is for trafficking survivors, mm-hmm. but that's only a small portion of what goes on here. And you are actually the residential director of not one, but three programs. Yeah, absolutely. We have three amazing programs here. And of course, it's Take Heart Residential and Hope Community and then Grace House. Basically, I get the privilege of uh, fielding the calls that come in for residential and then I get to help kind of funnel those out to where to where they go. Um, so yeah, a lot going on here. There yeah. is a lot. And we're, and we're going to have some of the people that help run those programs come mm-hmm. on a little yeah. bit later. So today we, we want to dive into the sex trafficking yeah. portion of things. So we'll get back to Grace House. We'll get sure. back to, to Hope Community. Sure. But the residential program, Take Heart Residential, actually is the trafficking survivor program. Last uh, episode, we had Mary Nolan on and talked a lot about what sex trafficking was and the problem with sex trafficking and what that entailed. And that was a huge problem that creates a huge void in the women who or or men that are afflicted by sex trafficking. How do you fix that? or men that are, can you even, can you even come back from that? You know, absolutely, you can, right? I mean, now there are some things, you know, that you're going to have longstanding, our residents are going to have longstanding effects from, but the reality of it is, is yes, they can. Um, with the right help, with the right resources, um, with the right uh, care plan and process, absolutely, they can come back, and we see it all the time. We see these uh, amazing, courageous women just transforming right before our eyes. So, yes, you can. So how does that start? So typically, you know, we get a lot of referrals um, from around the country. Um, We have moms call in. We get um, um, referrals from National Trafficking Alliances. We partner with programs like the Atlanta Dream Center, which is now called uh, First uh, Line Response. And uh, we have other programs that refer to us. So we have a lot of people, the jails. We partner with a lot of the local county jails, prisons, and they uh, referral. We have a whole intake team and uh, so it's a process they basically can go onto our website those who are just in the area want to check us out and you can hit a a referral um, and that typically comes to me they can send uh, their own a lot of the trafficking alliances will have their own applications and they know us as partners and they will refer them to us and basically once they get them to us we uh, move them to our intake coordinator 
which is an amazing lady, and she is their first contact, and she will get a hold of them. Um, we will review their applications, um, which we do that very prayerfully. Um, we really uh, begin to look at who we have. We look at the dynamics of the women that we already have, our ability to be able to take them. And so it's just it's a whole process. So you don't take everyone that applies to come in here? No, we, we really don't. Um, we take women 18 to 45, but we won't even let an age stop us. I mean, if we look at it and we're all in agreement and we feel like, you know, that there's someone that will fit well, they really want to get well, um, you know, we've been known to bring them in. So, you know, there's a couple factors that we look for. Um, number one, you know, do they fit our criteria? Have they been trafficked? You know, do they, will they f- fit our facility? We are a long-term restorative program with high level, you know, we're secure facility 24, seven, uh, 365, you know, a year. So we make sure that they fit that. Not everybody wants that or needs that. And so, yeah, we, we look at that. We look at, would they fit into our, uh, dynamics of the group? that we have we really try to take that into consideration who we have will they fit well and so there's a lot of factors that we use so do you only take survivors of sex trafficking um we uh we do primarily take women who have been uh, trafficked or we will take women who've been sexually exploited and um, oftentimes that means women that have uh, been a part of pornography um, or they have prostituted in some way many of the those will not necessarily right away identify as being trafficked and they won't even know that uh, they have been trafficked it's it's very insidious and so if we feel like they their story fits and they fit well we'll go ahead and take them and oftentimes once they get in uh, and they feel safe enough to share about that we find out that they they have been so what I'm hearing you say is that these women don't necessarily even know that they're being trafficked no they don't they don't always know that that they're being trafficked and some of them uh, they just consider it you know, they're in pornography or they're in prostitution. Um, And that's kind of a a mindset you and I have talked about before of that misconception of I'm not doing any harm by participating in pornography or participating in prostitution. And I'm not doing any harm by watching it. But that's, that's not true. No, it's really not. And when we just really step back and think about like, how are we going to solve this problem, right? Like we're doing what we're doing here at Hope Center. But, you know, it really begins with everyone just beginning to take a look at, you know, first of all, becoming an aware, which is what I love about the podcast that's happening is just it's just being aware that it's there. Many people think that it's just overseas and or it's in California or somewhere like that. But the reality of it is, is we get calls and and, you know, in our communities just right next door uh, that that are having you know trouble with with trafficked women and so but the reality of it is is also those who um, partake of pornography whether it's men or women or whatever they really need to look at the illusion that all of those ones that are on the screen or in the magazine that look so um, happy and well like they're enjoying it is oftentimes not if they were able to really see behind the scenes you know we get to talk to the women all the time and the reality of it is is they have been groomed and have been taught to put on a facade or put on a show or or act or whatever it's called and so you know having those who um you know look uh, at pornography or view pornography just understand that you know you could even unknowingly be part of the problem and really we just need people to be very aware uh, that it is not uh, a victimless crime. 
Absolutely. And the same with prostitution as well. Absolutely. I know we talked about um, pimps and and what that that lifestyle can look like on the last episode, but that prostitution, even though they feel they are being, they have a choice in the matter, that's not always the case. It's not. And I've actually heard um, people say that, you know, we're two consenting adults, uh, you know, I'm choosing this, they're choosing that. And, you know, whatever the transaction is, they're, they're both consenting. And the reality of it is, is that's not always the case. As a matter of fact, it's rarely the case. Um, again, when you begin to look at what is behind their story, how they got there, um, and what led them to that place, understanding that it is not always what it appears. And, you know, we just say around here what you feed grows and can start off in those doing uh, those things or going down that road and, and beginning to realize that it really leads to um, much deeper bondage. Yeah. And, and that's the that's illusion is you hear people say, oh, it's not hurting anybody right. or I've decided not to be in a relationship. I would rather just pay for it. It's Absolutely. not hurting anybody, but that's not the reality. It's really not. Yeah. It's really not. So um, we've talked a little bit about where you get the referrals mm-hmm. and when the when the ladies get here, they go through that intake process. So a lady actually comes into the program and she's accepted into the 15 month program. And then what? Um, how do you begin? How do you even? began to tackle the trauma that these women have been through? You know, really our goal, I mean, it's a 15-month program, so we really try to move them in slowly. Uh, The first really uh, up to 90 days, uh, actually the first two weeks that we focus them coming in, there's, here's a couple things that happen. We get them acclimated into their room. We begin to, we've built in a lot of rest time in their schedule. We think, you know, I mean, think about it. I mean, they've left everything that they know, loved and valued, and they're coming to a completely different state, you know, around people they don't know in a city, they don't know where they are. And uh, so when they come in, we really just spend the first couple of weeks of really just letting them have rest. We begin to work on getting them plugged into, you know, assessments, seeing what's going on, medical facilities. If they need therapy, we begin to get them plugged into that. Um, But we also uh, do, within that program, we do what's called Hope Forward Letters. And each of our staff have written letters uh, with our picture on it. Um, they aren't bombarded. They hardly meet any of the staff in the in the show. And, and every day they get a Hope Forward letter that's written from a staff uh, with our photographs so they'll know who we are. And it's a, a letter that just tells them how blessed we are to have them here and how valuable they are and, you know, how honored we are to get to take care of them. So it's just really just letting them know from the beginning that we have prayed for them, we um, care for them, and we want them to get well. And then we begin to move them into that 90-day process, which is really just about getting, you know, we assess them. And again, we, we say, you know, we need to look, while we have a program called the Plan of Hope that we work around, we'll talk more about that later. The reality of it is, is really, really look at each individual woman individually. So whatever her needs are, if it's recovery, we have some amazing partners that we partner with, and uh, we move them into an IOP, which is an intensive outpatient care, if that's what they need. Therapy, get them plugged into therapist, get them plugged in with medical, and begin to get that done. So yeah, we just really start from the basics, you know, that that physical piece where we let them rest, we let them get settled in, we let them know that they're valued and cared about, and then we start plugging them in. And that's really within the first, um, that's the first phase of our five-phase program. You talk about letting the women know that they're valued. And, and I just, I want, I want to share a little bit on sure. that. 
When I was doing group volunteer coordination, of course, we had a lot of people that wanted to adopt the rooms for that very purpose, because this is the first time many of these women have been into a room that is clean and safe and as beautiful as what some of the rooms are. They're all individually designed. But when I talked to Pastor Nolan and and we talk about that vision, it was so they each felt valued because this may be the very first time they're feeling valued for something other than what they can give somebody else is is that that that's that's true and they are worth it you know we want them to know that they are important and valued which is one of the reasons why we are a completely free program i mean think about it if we were charging them we would be not a whole lot different than we'd be getting something out of it right we would be so one of the reasons you know it's just um you know our heart is that we don't want them to have to that's a barrier that we want to remove. You know, one of the things that we d- um, have done with our programming is look at all the barriers to them getting well. And we went in and systematically removed those. That's amazing. You know, the part of their their rooms and the amazing volunteers that have put together the uh, adopter rooms, they're, they're just, they're, they're beautiful. And to see their women's faces when they see their room for the first time, it's, it's pretty special. Yeah, I've heard them say, we live in a castle. <laughs> we live in a castle. It is, it is beautiful. It is, they so um, they get here. You let them rest. Uh, I know there a lot of times they arrive. They're in that, that um, fight or flight mode. And so, you know, taking care of their physical needs and, and making sure that everything they need is taken care of first. And then it's to start on repairing some of the damage. Is that correct? It is. So what does that look like? How do you repair such extensive extensive damage? How, what kind of programming or, or uh, facilitation do you do um, that can even tackle that? Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that we really have to recognize is that they come out of such immense trauma, right? They, I mean, to hear some of their stories would, you know, it's, it's just really heartbreaking, um, they have been deeply wounded and traumatized. And so it really begins with uh, training our staff. So uh, in, in allowing our staff to be trained, um, you know, there's the buzzword now, trauma-informed care. And really what that means is just training your, your staff uh, to understand that they are going to come at things at a position that someone who did not have that trauma would not. So that means that we need to understand that they may view things differently, they may take things differently, and so it really begins with looking at the staff and getting the staff trained well. Can you give me an example of what that would look like or should look like or maybe doesn't look like if somebody were to be approached outside of the trauma care versus having their trauma care? Can you give me a... I think just a, a, a quick uh, scenario is um, like viewing someone who has an addiction, you know, rather than looking at them as, oh, they have a choice, they need to stop, uh, you know, that's just kind of a quick, hey, they're choosing to do that, they just need to quit doing that and, you know, move on uh, as to looking at um, the story and how they got there, when they began, how long it's been. So it's really like understanding that there's something under their story. Uh, what you're seeing on the surface is more than likely not um, probably what you think it is. So it's really understanding that they have a whole story underneath uh, that we really need to understand and not make quick answers and or be harsh or hard or anything like that. I want to back up just sure. even a little bit more. 
when Pastor Nolan first came in, we talked about how a lot of volunteers come in and they want to work with the women. And and, and that's, that's a, a genuine, heartfelt, wonderful thing that happens is just you hear about trafficking, you want to be part of it, you want to come in, you want to love on these women. But the reality is it's not as easy to love on them and care for them as what people may think. That trauma-informed piece really is important. And the training that your staff goes through makes that possible. It, it really is. And understanding that, you know, they need to be loved and cared for and they need to know that their value important. But we need to understand, too, that they have picked up survival behaviors. And they will take sometimes the way that you want to love and care for them as a whole completely different uh, way than you're then you're um, putting it out there. So understanding that keeps from hurting them. It keeps you from being hurt. You know, they'll let you know. And uh, so it, it, it is, and it, it's, it's not as easy. Um, and as we continue to train our volunteers, we love volunteers. They're amazing. We just need to understand that they view things differently. And a lot of our volunteers come from the church, and we, we love that and get them involved. But the reality of it is, is they need to understand that there are dynamics within the relationship. Um, and that's just a training piece that we work with them. We want them to keep coming and, and uh, understanding that. But the survival behaviors that they picked up along the way can look completely different. Uh, they can take what you say one way, completely view it a completely different way. So Absolutely. So we've talked about the training. What about the implementation of the program? So I know that Pastor Nolan talked about the five pillars. Yes. And the programming that comes along. We didn't we didn't have a chance to dive too deep yeah. into the programming. So can you sure ev- well, elaborate well, a little th- bit on that? I think that? you asked like how do we even begin to, you know, start working with them and like really from a broad perspective is we work with them holistically. And and what that really means is that we really just begin to look at the whole person. So we, again, the five pillars are based off of what's going on in their life physically. What do they need as far as like um, education, um, safety, uh, things like that. Um, we look at what's going on in their life emotionally. What kind of trauma, what kind of baggage do they carry? You know, where are they grief-stricken? What have they lost? Uh, Many of these women have uh, that we get to serve have lost tremendously. I mean, they've lost people. They've lost children. uh, They've lost lives that whether we agree with it or not or or even, you know, we talked about, you know, the trauma bond of losing their pimp that they thought loved and cared for them. So there's that whole disenfranchised disenfranchised, lost, uh, and grief piece. That is so good. So, so I want to, I want to stop there for just a second. So you're saying some of these women actually loved Mm -hmm. their pimps. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that before just from being here that you've had people that have gone back to their pimps and, and that's hard to wrap, you know, from a healthy, from a healthy standpoint, it's hard to wrap your head around the idea that once they have left Mm -hmm. and they've gotten to a safe, healthy environment, they would actually choose to go back. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head is from a healthy and whole perspective. And, and that's really what we have to understand is they are viewing things out of an unhealthy uh, kind of a broken perspective. And absolutely, they have developed bonds, uh, not only with um, the women that they're with in their, maybe in their groups uh, to the person, but regardless, they've lost a lot. And so um, there's a lot uh, to have to repair 
on that. So we begin to look at uh, getting connected to therapists. We have some amazing partners here. We have Warren Lee that's on site that uh, helps with a lot of our ladies. I talked a little bit about Wellspring. We have individuals that work with them through groups there. We partner with Jane Pauley. A lot of our, our residents will go there. So just some real amazing partners to begin to help us in that process. And it really begins with those assessments that we take within the first couple of weeks. So you have those um, external partners. And of course, those are absolutely imperative, creating this holistic um, healing process, but what kind of services are in-house? What are the things that you do inside the building here? Absolutely. So again, uh, following the five pillars, you know, we have um, the spiritual component as well. So we have chapel here that the residents will go to on Wednesday evenings. Um, we run groups here. Uh, we have uh, teachers that come in and teach. So part of the pillars um, requires classes that they must attend. Um, so each day uh, in the morning, they will have classes that they are required to take. Um, we also have electives that they can do. We have sewing, uh, the Sew Hopeful program. We have uh, the art therapist, uh, Mary Faith. She does an amazing job with our residents. Like I say, we have uh, different groups that they are able to attend. We have financial classes that they take. Um, just some amazing teachers that really uh, devote so much of time and attention and effort. Uh, to making sure that they grow in stability and follow along the pathway of, of the HOPE uh, care plan. So uh, when you're talking about, you've created this program, this bipolar program, and I know you mentioned treating the individual individually. How do you do that? I mean, how do you create a program that has such a broad, because you have women that come in that actually have college degrees, mm -hmm. and then you have women that came in, that have come in that maybe graduated sixth grade. So that's a huge difference in the dynamics of people that you're, you're intaking. How do you service that broad of a spectrum of people? So, um, so again, when they come in, they follow, we have five phases. And so all of our programming, regardless of where you come in, you're going to be assessed on the basics. We will start you there on the basics. Um, so, so what are the basics? Yeah, so basics, like especially when they come in in the first phase, it's assessing where they are financially, what, what kind of education. Um, we work with um, the education department here that really helps assess what they need. You know, do they need, even those who have college degrees, once they assess them, they may, they may have tutoring. They, need, they may need shoring up in some educational area. They may be weak in math, and so they will tutor them in that. So they'll bring them up to the place to reach the goals that they want to. So if they want to go to college or if they want to do that, then they'll get them prepared for that. And somewhere along uh, the process, we will connect them with the resources that they need to do that. So everybody starts out with assessments and then beginning to follow the pillars of recovery and wellness and physical. And if they need more help in one area than another, depending on where they are, we may you know shift the focus to that a little bit more. Uh, but as they go along in the programming, all the way up to the fifth phase, uh, to a fourth and fifth phase where they can begin to work. Um, they've already had by that time, let's say um, by phase three, when they're able to work, start out 15 hours. Uh, many of them can work on campus. We have some amazing partners. Um, they've already had uh, by that point, you know, job readiness skills, skills on interviewing and things like that. So then we just kind of, whatever they need, we will work them all the way up. Hopefully by now our listeners know this is a Christ-based organization. Yes. 
and there is a, a huge determination on on the program itself to really fill that spiritual void. And I know that some of those classes are, are take part here. Can you tell us about that? Because I know that's really a heart of, of what we do here. Absolutely. And so again, you know, the spiritual component, when we're looking at holistic healing, there's just no way we can bypass that. Um, you're not required to be a Christian to come here. Um, you know, we just do ask that you, you know, uh, follow the program. Um, how you interact on that part is up to you. But, but yeah, we started them out from the very beginning on teaching them, you know, what does mindfulness look like, devo- you know, devotion time. Um, we try to meet them where they are. We're not about like forcing them into, you know, pigeonholing them into something that they're not. So um, fortunately, um, part of the application process has that spiritual component on there. So um, we can just really tell where where they are. And by the way, I would say most, uh, if not all of the applications that we get, they have a strong spiritual desire to get one. That's actually why they're picking us. So it's really interesting uh, to be able to to be from that side of it. But yeah, when they come in, that's even part of their assessment is spiritual, just assessing where they are, and then they can take part in our classes. We have biblical foundations, um, which is amazing. And again, they really just meet the residents where they are. They can do 12-step recovery that is Christ-centered and, uh, you know, options for that. So a chapel to, it's really enmeshed in every area. We pray um, with the residents, you know, we have conversations with them. And so, yeah, it's pretty, pretty awesome. That's awesome. Before we wrap this up really quick, and, and thank you for coming in. The main question, I think that a lot of people that hear the podcast that they're going to ask is, how can I help? What do you need? How can we be of service? And what would you say? All right. Well, the churchy answer is we want prayer, right? <laughs> but, but that's not really just the churchy answer. It is the answer. So we would just love prayer. Um, you know, I just need to just express how difficult it is for our residents. Um, they're amazing and they're here because they want to get well and they've done the work to get here. And, you know, there's some real um, strongholds over them. And we just, if if you could just lift them up in prayer that the that the, the strongholds that they have in their life, whether it's thought or core belief systems that they picked up along the way, that those could be broken and that they could realize their worth and value in who they are and whose they are. Um, the second thing besides prayer, which is, which is the number one would be just, you know, we always need help. And so, you know, we have more adopter rooms that are available. Our goal is to take in uh, 70 women, um, by the end of 2024. And so our, you know, it's a, that's a, that's a strong goal. So, uh, we want to be a, a strong part of the solution. So we have that. We also are, are restructuring and redeveloping all of our teaching and trainings uh, with, through the Samaritan Women's Institute with Shelter Care. We've uh, discovered some amazing, amazing curriculum and through other partners that we've done. And so what we've been doing over the last uh, several months is really just stepping back and putting all of that in a framework. And uh, we desire to set the program and then we're going to start praying in the leaders and teachers for that and and the mentors and the things like that so if you have a heart and desire to serve here um, we have a process um, you can just uh, call us get plugged in it doesn't lock you in anything we'll help you discover just where you belong so you can be part of the solution as well I appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming in. It's always um, my pleasure to get to hang out with you. We have fun together and um, you're so knowledgeable and we thank you for your service and your heart for these women. 